Hello? Check, check. Okay. Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how's it going? I don't care. We got to get <laughs> yeah, we down gotta... to business. <laughs> I am a little sick, so yeah. uh, you'll, you, you, the listener, will pardon me for I will. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I am calling him to task for this. Maybe if you got more than five hours sleep a night, my friend. So, um, I don't know what I mean by that, by That's the way. What I did actually, I stayed up to like 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Catching <laughs> watching, up on movies? Watching movies, and I was rewatching. I, I've been rewatching season two of The Sopranos, because it's okay. on on demand right now. Yeah, I, uh, I went to see a, a late movie last night and got back home at about 2 in the morning, and so... What'd you go see? I went to go see There Will Be Blood. Okay. But, uh, we'll talk, well, we'll talk about, about that later. later. Um, okay, right. so what we're going to do... Yeah. Is we're gonna wrap up 2007. We're gonna That's give right. it to you in 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 one hour of uh, of podcasting, crackerjack <laughs> podcasting. Um, yeah, just we're gonna we're gonna do our favorite films and, and other right. other things. Uh, so um, let's get into it. We want to start. We want to start talking about honorable mentions. Yeah, uh, what are yours? Yeah. Well, these movies, you know, they did not crack the top ten, but I would feel remiss if I didn't mention them. You know. Because I'm trying to single out movies on my list that I really liked that just aren't getting mentioned that much. So, uh, I'll mention a couple of them. The first one is Disturbia. Now, Disturbia is in the top, it looks like the top 20, maybe the top 25. So, it's not, it's not up there. But you know what? I, I, I would say I loved the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just, it's a lot of fun. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. I thought it was just going to be a retread of... Rear window, and of course, just not nearly as good. Uh, but I tell you, this was really Shia LaBeouf's year as far as turning in performances that make me like a movie way more than I thought I would. And uh, and it's you know it's it's ever it, it it evokes Rear Window, but in all the best ways. It's f- clever. It's funny. It is genuinely suspenseful at times. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, my Jen, my wife, she she loved it. She basically we watched it, and then I had to go do something. I come back, she has just she's just finishing it again. Like yeah. she watched it literally twice in a row. She loved it that much. That's cool. So I really I, I, I enjoyed that movie a lot too. I mean, I think uh, it it kind of fell apart for me at the at the end. It, I don't know. It had to, it, it, there was really. Uh, there was a really tight directorial hand on most of the movie, right? Yes. And, and I feel like it it got a little studio-y at the end. Uh, I would I would agree with that. Um, at every yeah, it's not Rear Window in the in the sense that you just you know that it's it's a director's movie all the way. Like right at right. the end, they're like, okay, we need a big finish. This guy can't just uh, you know what. You've seen the trailer, so this isn't a spoiler. It's like this guy can't just be a killer of one person. This yeah, guy has got... to have killed essentially a small town, um, and uh, you know, and I'll tell you the the need for a big finish is uh, it kept another movie for me out of out of the out of the running here. And that's okay. Enchanted, Enchanted, okay, uh, which, which was, I haven't seen yet. It was really great up until the the very end, where it just has this huge action set piece on like the on the roof of a building, and it just it seems really compulsory and not not necessary at all. Knowing what little I know about that movie, an action set piece on the top of a building yeah. doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But yeah. uh, is Amy Adams awesome in it? She seems like she would be. She is awesome. Uh, you know, and no surprise there. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, but James Marsden, also hilarious. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll talk more Here's about that. Here's an episode that. I want to do. Someday. Okay. We did an episode when we had our, our friend Matt on the show. Uh, we talked about comedies. But... Uh, Here's 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 an episode I want to do in the future. I'm just throwing okay. this out here now. All okay, right. is it better to have a person who's uh, what's more important in a comedic role, being funny or being an actor? Hmm. You know, because James Marsden is not a person I think of as being funny. Yeah. But as an actor, he brings such a completeness to this, uh, no pun intended, two dimensional role. Yeah. In Enchanted, that it's hilarious. Well, you know, I think both I think both are uh, are important, but I'll say this, whenever whenever an actor, you know, like a strong actor approaches a funny role, chances are it will be I'd say a deeper kind of laugh because 
this actor has taken the funny idiosyncrasies of this character and turned and crafted it into like like when I think of the the question that you just asked, I think of like Dustin Hoffman in uh, Wag the Dog, where oh, yeah. you know it's just he he makes an entire character, and so when you see a character who says all these little funny things, but you realize it's a fully realized character, you, character like somehow I laugh more heartily because I realize like oh wow he's this all the way through like <laughs> he's just. He's this before the movie started, and he's this after. Although he does die in the movie, so never mind. But you know, just that was a bit of a spoiler. Sorry, um, wag the dog. <laughs> it's eleven years old. You know, was it ninety seven? Yes, it was ninety seven. I was thinking it was ninety eight. But uh, huh. but okay, yeah, so. uh, let me go uh, right. go on with it because Enchanted does not quite make it into the honorable mention category for me, okay. so that didn't count. But I want to talk about two uh, franchise films in my honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, that'll be uh, the Bourne Ultimatum. Yeah, wonderful. Which is a, movie. a wonderful, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, hopefully, the last chapter in in that in that saga. Yeah, um, yeah it, absolutely. I mean, it's it's laid out as such. Yeah, uh, and then I want to talk about another film that is definitely not the last chapter in its saga, and that's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That's right. Uh, the best of the bunch so far for me. I know you're still, uh, I'm still a number three tough fan. With number three, which I I don't blame you. I I really like it. Yeah. But um, uh, the, this one really felt uh, much like uh, the third one is is the most character based, yeah, uh, or was the most character based up until then. This right. one really feels like, and this has to do with J.K. Rowling's book too, is that this is the, this is the least plotty of the of the books. This is this is a character story, and I think a lot of people had a difficult time with that. Like uh, there are a lot of critics that didn't that didn't care for it, and I remember the first time I watched it, I walked out somewhat. Somewhat confused, uh, simply because like I realized, wow, not a lot really happened. Like yeah. to follow number four, which is ex- you know has a pretty extensive plot. Yeah. With this, which has very little, um, it was it was like a jarring, you know, yeah. stop, uh, like a screeching halt to the plot aspect. But then watching it again, it spends so much time with character that. Uh, that I loved it, and so it is a very close second. I yeah. still love number three, but yeah, Harry and, Potter's uh, uh, and the Order of the Phoenix is great. I also want to say that with each successive film, the action scenes in the Harry Potter movies seem mm-hmm. to wrestle themselves further and further from Chris Columbus's stiff grasp. That's right. And I mean, I think the huge action long sequence at the end of Order of the Phoenix mm-hmm. was for me the most exhilarating thing in any of the five movies. Well, and it always gives me a. Yeah. You know, for some reason, whether it be Obi-Wan Kenobi or Gandalf or Morpheus <laughs> or Dumbledore, I'm always just like, all right, I want to see why everyone, you know, like, I know that it's just, you know, there's this yeah. idea of like this old, decrepit person that everybody in the movie seems to know is powerful. We're not seeing it. And I like when they give me a chance to see it. And his his fight at the end with, uh, yeah. with uh, Voldemort is really solid and you see that like he may seem like this kind of old man i wouldn't say decrepit um but like you know i don't know it like that to me was like this really momentous thing i was like oh man dumbledore awesome um so yeah that's and and you know i'll i'll wind up talking about it uh, next week uh, as well okay um uh let me find okay so this one just got bumped out of my well, not just like last week, but it got bumped out of my top ten. Uh-huh. Um, it is called Sunshine. I didn't see it actually. Okay, huge Danny Boyle fan that I have always been. I yeah. didn't see it. Uh, it is not a perfect movie. Um, I'm one of those people who even likes the beach. I don't mind the beach. You know, good for you. I like that. I think yeah. it's a good movie. Um, and it, and you certainly he really is uh, a solid director. I mean, he doesn't really get mentioned very much. Yeah when people talk about, you know, great directors working today. But, uh, yeah. Well, I think he, I mean, he started off being such a, a stylist, you yeah. know, uh, with Shallow Grave and Trainspotting. Right. Uh, that he could have just kept doing that. And right. some would, there are some who, when they saw Lifeless Ordinary, thought that he had. Yeah. I disagree. I think Lifeless Ordinary is a, uh, it's a really, uh, a really quirky film in, in different ways. Right. But I think he's yeah he's definitely gone on to prove himself uh, a, a director in in more than just the the visual way. Absolutely, um, especially with millions. Mil- yeah, and 
and Sunshine, you know, he at- he uh, you know he he attempts the uh, the sci-fi genre, and not not like you know as much as I love Alien. I mean, that's horror sci-fi. There's some sci-fi elements, but it's mostly uh, a different genre type movie. Mm-hmm. But um, but this is you know Solaris 2001 sci-fi where it's pretty heady. There is an element of horror in there introduced near the end that I didn't really care for. But for the most part, uh, it's just a really not all the critics liked it because it does kind of, you know, it explores the genre, but it has a lot of the same, you know, very familiar genre things. But, you know, the basic story is these people, you know, are going to are going to jumpstart the sun because, you know, it's starting to, you know, burn out and it's going to kill everybody on Earth. So but just it really explores the psychology of I mean, there's that old idea that, you know, I would say is very practical, which is, you know, the needs of the many, in this case, billions of people on Earth, outweigh the needs of the few, which is, of course, eight people (laughs) on this shuttle. But, you know, it really explores, like, well, what's it like to be one of those eight people, you know? And, uh, and, yeah, it's just a... Visually, it's really strong. You'll know it's a Danny Boyle film pretty much right away. And uh, I just found it very affecting, and uh, and I enjoyed it a great deal. So that's my number 11. Speaking of things that just got edged out, I want to talk about a couple of documentaries uh, that are my 11 and and 12. Um, One, you... Uh, you both you Tyler and you the listener probably haven't seen it it didn't play for very long here in Los Angeles I'm not sure if, where it played at all elsewhere in the country but it's called uh, it's called I Have Never Forgotten You The Life and Legacy Life and Legacy of Simon Wiesenthal okay who Simon Wiesenthal was a sort of a he was a, a Nazi hunter he was uh, a survivor who hmm. dedicated his life to tracking down the the ones that got away you know hmm. and uh and it was it was it was produced by the Simon Wiesenthal Center, which is a risky prospect. You know, yeah. it it could have been uh, overly idolizing, right? You know, but uh, it it really does uh, present you with a very very human portrait of this man. That uh, and and it and his his story is so fantastic and so inspiring. I mean, I, I hate to use sort of like I'm a USA Today critic type of <laughs> type of adjectives, but it, it really did uh, bring me to tears. It's really inspiring. Hmm. The other documentary yeah. is uh, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you see it? No, but, uh, you know, I remember you told me how much you liked it, and I've heard from various uh, other people how wonderful it is. Well, yeah, I I, I loved it. And it's uh, it's jaw-dropping in, in a completely different way than the Simon Wiesenthal film. It's It's... Just hard to believe that these are real people. Yeah, that these aren't aren't caricatures that that <laughs> Kevin Smith wrote or something. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, they're they're uh, they're more they're more interesting and yet more banal than anything that Kevin Smith could ever think of. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I'll say I'll say a couple more. Um, I this was in my top ten. For the longest time, and then of course, you know, Oscar season kicked in, and slowly but surely, it just moved down a little further down the line. But I, I love it. Uh, it's called Hot Fuzz. Um, okay. You and I went to see it, and it just, you know, one thing. Same with Shaun of the Dead. It's just, it's a movie that you know kind of parodies action movies, and it doesn't reveal itself as an action parody until really the end, um, yeah, or the last act, I guess. Uh, but it shows the ridiculousness of action movies as well as the appeal yeah. and just how fun they can be. Um, and, uh, and it winds up just being hilarious. And oddly enough, like one of my favorite lines of the year is one that makes no sense unless you've seen the movie. I will still say it now in which I, I I'm laughing now. Jim Broadbent is talking to the main character about his predecessor uh-huh. It's like I'll tell you. He's like he had one thing that you don't, and he's like, "What's that? A great big bushy beard." <laughs> yeah. and he just says it in such a weird, awesome Jim, Jim Broadbent way that I laugh every time. And so, Hot Fuzz, I enjoyed a great deal. All right, well, we we should probably get started. So okay. let, me, let me just run down a, a list of a, f- a few more. Uh, okay. Uh, this was a good year for genre films. No, sure there's was. a couple I'm gonna not say because I think they might be in your top ten. Okay. But uh, I do want to mention Breach. Yeah. Love uh, that. And and vacancy, which is probably my still haven't seen it. My favorite, uh, you know, popcorn movie <laughs> probably of the year. Okay. Um, uh, well, there's a couple. Uh, 
couple of others that I don't want to mention because I, I think I was okay. going to say Hot Fuzz, but yeah, I think you've got them. Also, this is not good enough to be an honorable mention, but The Astronaut Farmer deserves a chance. Okay. It's not a great movie, but uh, you should watch it. It's not as stupid as you think if you saw, if you saw the trailer. Uh, yeah, I'm much the same. I'll, yeah, I'll just mention it. Uh, the John Dahl film You Kill Me with uh, Ben okay. Kingsley. Was uh, that this year? It was this year. Wow, that's um, a while ago. Certainly not a perfect movie, but uh, very good. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't, uh, didn't care for it. But it explores some interesting things, and it's got a really solid performance by uh, Ben Kingsley, as well as uh, Taylor Leone, who I don't usually care for. All right, so those so. are movies that deserve a chance. Okay. Absolutely. So, which one of us should go first? Well, um... Now, do you think? Now, we were also today going to talk about the the movies this year that we didn't particularly care for. Should we say that until after we bring up our top ten? Let's do it now because I don't want to end on a bad note. Absolutely not. I mean, Uh, I don't have the thing is, I didn't have as much uh, disposable income as I've had in some previous years. Right. Yes. So there are certain movies that if I heard that generally they were not good, I didn't go see them. Yeah. You will not find Spider-Man 3 on my list, because yeah. I didn't go see it. Yeah. Or anything uh, with the word Pirates or Caribbean in it, I didn't see that. <laughs> so let me just... Um, so, I, the, again, I don't have any movies that really sucked, except for one. This Well, this is something that we've talked about before, is that, you know, uh, I, I don't think that this is uh, necessarily a prideful thing, but just David and I, at this point in our lives, have gotten pretty good at being able to tell... At the very least, you know, I mean, to a certain degree, what's probably going to be good and what probably won't, but also what we're going to like and what we're not going to like. So, yeah, I mean, the, there are no straight up horrible, you know, there's not, you know, epic movie is not on my list because right. I knew it was going to be awful and I knew I was going to hate it. So, yeah, none of the movies on my list are straight up horrendous. Let me, let me say something before we get into this. Okay. Because we don't. There's not enough friction between you and me on the show. Okay. So I'm going to take you to task, Tyler Smith. Okay. Because you saw Spider-Man 3. I did. Did you see the Pirates movie as well? Yes, I did. Uh, did you see Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Shirt? No, Shaker? I didn't. Okay, well, that's good. That's in your credit. Okay. But here's the thing. These are movies that you knew going in were almost certainly going to suck, right? Uh, because Spider-Man, of what you had heard. Sp- Spider-Man 3, I had heard some good things and some bad things, and that frustrated me. Pirates, I assumed was going to be bad, but uh, okay, my well, reason let's for take seeing that it as an was, example. It was more sentimental than anything. Okay, because it is people like you who are the <laughs> you are you are you are are fueling and continuing this studio mindset that they can turn out something that as long as it's big, it doesn't have to be good. That's true. People don't even have to like it; it will have a big opening weekend. That's true. Because of people like you, I'm sorry. knock it off. Okay, and I'm you, sorry. the listener, don't do that. All right, you don't have to see a movie. I I agree, but you know we do. Part of it is but, that we. I mean, you know, you you've fallen for the whole hype. You know, <laughs> these movies have been built up as must see movies, whether they're good or not. And and for all your indignation and 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 uh, and contempt for the film after you saw it, it doesn't mm. change the fact that they got your twelve dollars. It sure did. Well, uh, nine. Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't see it in the you know in the big theaters. But um. But yeah, and you know that's that's somewhat true. I mean, and some movies I saw this year, partially because I wanted to talk about them on the podcast. You know, it just <laughs> like uh, just I felt like, well, I do you know do a podcast related to movies, so it would perhaps be remiss of me to discuss to miss some of the big money makers at the very least, so that. I can talk about how bad I think they're going to be, um, you know. So it's uh, it's mostly a, a function of that. Okay. Um, you know, I I am connected with the common man. I don't think okay. I'm above uh, him. All right, all right. Uh, Which is your problem, David Bax? <laughs> okay, go on. Okay, I've just got one movie. I mean, there's okay. There's a movie called. Uh, I've got two movies. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pride is Pride. one of them. This is this. Occupies the slot of second worst film that I saw this year. Okay, but the thing is, second. Oh, it was it was the last one uh, up until recently. I don't know what uh, your least favorite is going to be. This is exciting. Um, But the thing is, it's not a terrible film. Mm -hmm. It's just a completely. It's just a film that sort of lies there and does does not. It does not surprise you in any way at all. Right, and that's why it's at the bottom of my list because I didn't see anything that was really terrible. I just 
Uh, but okay, but then yes, recently I saw a film that is fucking horrible. Oh man, oh man. And okay. I don't know why I even went to see it because I I, I should I should point the finger back at myself because I yeah. should have known that the reviews were bad. But uh, I guess the actors maybe want to see it, and this is Fred Claus. Okay, all right. Horrific. <laughs> there is it, it is. There's been a lot of talk, and we've talked about it here on the on the podcast about um, uh, l- the 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 rise of lazy writing and dependence on improvisation. That's right. Yes. So you think they, obviously what happened here is they said we got Vince Vaughn, we don't have to really write any jokes or, mm-hmm. or anything, and it's is so obvious. I mean he's <laughs> he's clearly breaking a sweat trying to make this thing work. Yeah. And and a couple of times he succeeds, but. For most of it, there's a, there's a even for the the type of movie it is, there's a shocking paucity of jokes or laughs in it at all. Mm. It, so much of it is just so boring. Hmm. And I remember you and I were talking about this uh, a few days ago, and uh, you know, I I feel that uh, I'm you know Paul Giamatti is a an actor who can be funny. Uh, you know, and uh, so I'm like, oh, it's hard for me to believe that he can't, that he's not funny or good in this movie. And you said that, in fact, he is good. He is good, but he's, yeah, he's not funny. And the thing is, it's not really his fault. There's no yeah. funny words for him to say. That's unfortunate. Clearly, clearly, Vince Vaughn was expected to carry the entire film on his back, uh, except for a brilliantly hilarious cameo by Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> it's it's uh, hands down the funniest part in the movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that that's my worst film of the year. Okay. Uh, mine is, in fact, yes, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, and yes, I did not have much expectation of it being good. I really uh, enjoyed the first one. Uh, I rented the second one for free when I worked at Blockbuster. That one was not good. Um, and then, uh, Jen, you know, it was just one of those little things where Jen and I had a tradition of, it's like, oh, well, we like these... You know, we liked the first one, and we saw the second one, so let's go ahead and go see the third. And, uh, you know, it certainly was a big, bombastic theatrical experience, and uh, the audience that we went to see it with uh, applauded at the end, and I'm like, wow, even if this is good, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't... Really? It was like, Applause? It was, yeah. Also, it was like four weeks in. Like, it wasn't even, like, opening day. I'm not... I'm not used to hearing applause at a, at a, at a, at a mainstream film. Usually it's... Really? It's stuck-up art house people who applaud, which bothers me just as much. Unless you're at a screening where the director or producer or something is in the audience. Right. If it, and there's maybe going to be a Q&A afterwards or whatever. Mm-hmm. Who are you applauding? There's no one there. Uh, applause is supposed to show... It's supposed to be showing your respect and gratitude to someone. What are you applauding when you're just sitting in the theater that you know... Gore Verbinski wasn't at at your showing. <laughs> I highly doubt it. I don't think he hangs out in Van Nuys. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, maybe the idea is it, it it creates a like a sense of community. Like if if everybody in the audience is applauding, like it means oh we all we all loved it. We are all one in loving it. But at the same time, the first guy to applaud, he doesn't know that's going to happen. Or yeah. maybe he's trying to start it. You know what I do like that happens to me fa- happens fairly often uh, okay. here in Los Angeles is you'll be sitting there watching the credits and a certain name will come up and a small group of people will, will applaud. It's like, oh, clearly they know that person. I, that that just happened to me recently at Enchanted and again it's something else. And I remember uh, when I saw Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, uh, when the main guy's name came up, these people yeah. were like, yay! Like, oh, good. all right, that's cool. So that was cool. Um, yeah, well, you've you've been associated with two movies uh, that you've gotten a credit for and, uh, and I... And, I I haven't seen either one of them, but I want to applaud when your name shows up. I actually haven't seen one of them. I mean, I've seen I've seen one of them, and then one of them I haven't seen. Yeah, um, uh, that's how much I care about my time as a PA. <laughs> that's how much I invest myself in the projects that I worked on. Um, but yeah, so my least favorite movie of the year was uh, the third Pirates movie. Um, you know, it's still you know Johnny Depp having fun and and. Uh, and Jeffrey Rush having fun, but it's just the whole story, like the problem with the second and third, like they got so bogged down in these weird stories and stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This is not that hard. You know what I mean? Like pirates fighting on ships. 
That's all I need. Maybe if you want, you can add a supernatural element to it. I'm not going to, you know, keel over if you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it just, and it keeps building up to this climax. And when the climax happens, you're like, D- oh, that didn't mean anything. Not a damn thing at all. So that frustrated me. My, uh, I won't bring up my second uh, least favorite movie, which is uh, Transformers, which, frankly, I thought would be was really good, uh, if not for all the damn robots. You know, <laughs> all the human performers are great. Um, but uh, I will bring up freaking Grindhouse because. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go to the bathroom when you talk about Grindhouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's actually doing it. I okay. Um, so Grindhouse, uh, you know. Um, I think I'm not sure if I've talked about it before, but basically, um, those of you who've seen it know that it was you know this double feature, and the first part done by uh, Robert Rodriguez was actually quite good. I mean, the idea behind the movie Grindhouse was you know to show uh, these old you know exploitation type movie, these you know B and C level movies, um, and uh, try to evoke this experience of going to these cheap, crappy theaters. Uh, in the 70s and, and all that. So uh, on that level, Robert Rodriguez's film, uh, Planet Terror, did a much better job. That is actually, you know, it's gory and gross and all the eff- pretty much all the effects are practical and uh, much like they would be at the time. And so he really achieves the goal more than Quentin Tarantino, who you can just tell it was probably Quentin Tarantino's idea. But... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> no, don't be distracted. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can tell that the project was probably Quentin Tarantino's idea, and yet he didn't seem committed to it. There are a couple of really nice kills in Death Proof, the movie that he made, and a really solid performance by Kurt Russell. But the rest of the time, it's just ridiculous, pointless dialogue, and I'm a fan of ridiculous, pointless dialogue. And even I'm just like, ugh, get to the killing with the car this is what i want to see like it's just you know it was just very frustrating and and it just felt like you know if you're really committed to the idea of making these grindhouse movies no no audience in this no grindhouse audience in the 70s would they'd walk out of death proof they would hate it you know and tarantino while trying to I don't know. It's frustrating. It really felt like he was trying to have his cake and eat it, too. He wanted to make a throwback to this, but not completely. He wanted to do his own spin on it, but in doing his own spin, he basically negated what he was trying to do. Um, And so Grindhouse wound up just being a very frustrating uh, experience for me, more so because of of Tarantino than Rodriguez. So, Okay. Not a fan. Not a fan. We should get started. Okay. It's been like half an hour. Oh, my gosh. We started on our top ten. So here we go. Imagine the drum roll here. Who's going first? Uh, yeah, you I'll can. Go. Okay. All right, this is the sixth year in a row that I've made a list. Okay. And this is by far of the six years, this is the most mainstream and uh, American list. There's not a foreign film in my top top ten. Yeah. Uh, the, this is this is all American, and, and, and a lot of it is uh, very studio. Uh, and I'm, as we learned last week, I'm not going to be defensive about that. Especially about my number 10 film, okay. which I think is probably going to shock some people. Okay. But my number 10 favorite film of 2007 is I Am Legend. Okay. Uh, you saw it, right? I sure did. I think... Well, first off, let me say this about Francis Lawrence, who made Constantine. Mm-hmm. Another uh, really cool movie. Not not as good as I Am Legend. I Am Legend is a good film. Yeah. Uh, Constantine is a cool movie. <laughs> you know? Uh, but with these two films, if he keeps it up... I will be mentioning Francis Lawrence alongside people like Peter Jackson and Robert Zemeckis who really know how to use visual effects to mm-hmm. tell a story as opposed to just throwing them up on the screen, you right. know, to marvel at the way like a Roland Emmerich would. Yeah. Uh, and even though the, the, the motion capture effects, this is the, uh, you know, the reason this is only at number 10, yeah. uh, the, 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 the monsters and the motion capture and stuff is, is, is kind of weak and unnecessary, frankly. Yeah, but, you and I have talked about how there's really no reason for them to be motion capture. Yeah, not like, at all. I mean, if they had used practical makeup effects, a, I think it would have looked creepier. Yeah, you know, and b, it just it would it actually would have been less distracting. Yes, yes. Um, we've talked about on the on the podcast before that it's like, you know, just because you can use these awesome visual effects doesn't necessarily mean you always should. You know, you yeah. should find the the right blend. 
But I want to talk about what's good about the movie. It's Absolutely. in my top ten. Yes. Um, but yeah, the, the, the way the, the landscape of this post-apocalyptic New York City is created with visual effects is, is both breathtaking, you know, mm. and really informative and really, help, really helpful in setting the scene, in setting yeah. the mood. And it adds to Will Smith's character. And that's the other part of this movie that's fantastic is Will Smith. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess I, I. Okay, you and I were talking about this recently. Uh, Will Smith's career is not that different from a Tom Hanks, right? Who started? I mean, he was you know bosom buddies, cheesy sitcom. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then he did some silly comedies and stuff. Yeah. And then his transition to becoming respected mm-hmm. uh, was uh, relatively easy. But with Will Smith, who also started a sitcom and made some a lot of popcorn movies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. people seem to look down on him a little bit more. And I'm going to go ahead and call racism. Okay, all right. Uh, and, and simply not just racism, but I think because he was a rapper, uh, people mm. don't the, people generally don't respect rappers. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's uh, further racism. Okay, but. Uh, with this and the pursuit of happiness and a much earlier film, uh, you know, Six Degrees of Separation, right? Uh, I, I think he's he's paid his dues. I think it should be clear to anyone with even a slightly open mind that Will Smith is not just a great leading man, which he is. Yeah, he's a fucking actor. He sure is, and yeah, uh, and the fact that like he's in movies like I Am Robot and I Am Legend, you know, very big. It's I, I Robot. Oh, what did I say? You said I Am Robot. Oh, sorry, I got confused. <laughs> I Legend and I Am Robot. I Am Independence Day. He's in that one. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that he's the fact that he's in these people are like, oh, he's just one of those. But he, in the midst of these, you know, big movies, I, I kind of compare him to Tom Cruise. He's a guy who will always deliver a really solid performance, even in the most popcorn of movies and I Am Legend is actually not that much of a popcorn movie. No, um, it's pretty bold actually, yeah. and there's a lot of really heartbreaking stuff in there. Absolutely. And then there's another scene that, if this, if it weren't so well carried out by Will Smith, would be the most disgusting scene in the movie to me. Okay. And I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but it involves the movie Shrek. Ah, uh, yes. And it would seem like just. Uh, just silly and like product placement or something to me. Right. If it weren't for the fact that Will Smith manages to make it really creepy. Yeah. Cause I, 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 yeah, I don't want to give, I don't want to give any spoilers away. The movie hasn't yeah. been out that long. Yeah. So I, the thing, my, when I think of that movie, I do think of, you know, just the, sh- the long periods of time where he's just alone and how quiet the movie is. And I saw it at a big AMC theater in, uh, a small, somewhat small town in Minnesota, and so like, frankly, you would not expect it with a primarily young audience, and you would not expect silence to go over well in that theater. Yeah, you could hear a pin drop. People were paying close attention. Like people that were very loud before the movie and were very loud after the movie, they shut up because it is that involving, even in moments of uh, total silence. And it really, yeah, it wound up being way better than I thought it was going to be. All right. Well, let's move on. What's your number 10? My number 10, I forgot that I had a list. Hang on. My number 10 is The Lookout. Oh, see, that was one of the ones that I uh, was going to put in my honorable mentions, but I left out because I was pretty sure it was in your top uh, 10. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it is one, you know, a lot of the movies in my top 10 are not going to be perfect uh, movies. You know, The Lookout has... A couple of, I wouldn't even necessarily say flaws, but, you know, they make some choices and I'm like, nah, that really wasn't necessary. But, uh, but at the same time, it's just, you know, it's a, and it seems like a pretty conventional story, especially now that Memento has come out, that basically this kid who is a very cocky, uh, hockey player, um, in high school gets in this accident and now, and basically it kind of messes up his mind and he has problems with memory, not in the same way that they, that Leonard did in Memento, but he just mm-hmm. has a difficult time focusing on things and he's kind of naive and he's basically just had to relearn, uh, how to live and how to be independent and, and that sort of thing. And, and it frustrates him and he just, and it's that, and it's the way that his family his very affluent family treats him that causes him to, 
get taken in by this con man who wants him to help uh, uh, rob this bank. And so uh, it's just a really solid performance by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who's really emerging as uh, an amazing actor. Yeah. Um, but also really strong supporting performances by uh, Matthew Good, mm-hmm. who has... I know that this is not... This shouldn't seem like that big of a deal, but like f- a flawless American accent. Like, not... It is a big deal. I mean, like, I guess there's a lot of like Brits and Australians who do an American accent... Um, but it sounds somewhat proper, yeah. you know, not like, like, for example, Russell Crowe in like LA Confidential. Now I'm not saying proper as if like, you know, he's, uh, you know, a, a very wealthy guy, but just, it's very direct and it's very straightforward. Like, you know, it's not casual at all. Yeah. Matthew Good in The Lookout, it's casual. He really, you wouldn't know at all, at all that he was British and, uh, but he's great. And then Jeff Daniels. Uh, turns in a really solid performance as and well. And Isla Fisher. That's right. Yeah. She's not she's not given a lot to do, but what she does She does is, more with it than is on the page. That's much true. More. That's uh, true. I really even though she's I guess in the end if I had if you had to choose good or bad, she's a bad character. Mm-hmm. She's a bad guy. Yeah. But you I really felt a lot of empathy for her yeah. and sympathy for her. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like it's it is one of those movies I I would re- I would liken it to uh, a simple plan. Where it's just characters in it whose actions really, positive or negative, their actions really don't mean much in the large, you know, on this large scale of things. But like, but in their own lives, what they're doing is huge. Um, so, another thing I want to say about Lookout okay. that I think is cool it reminds me of a movie from a couple of years ago called Wolf Creek, oh, okay. uh, which is not as good as The Lookout, but it's 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 pretty good. Uh, both of those, Wolf Creek is a horror film. Lookout is a is a crime thriller. Yeah, but neither one of them uh, really shows its genre colors until the, the last third. Right. You spend right. in both films. You spend about an hour just really living with these characters. It's it's really just a character drama. Yeah. It really just you know I I think I, I've not seen Wolf Creek, but you know from what it sounds like it understands the importance of like all right if we're going to bust out this somewhat improbable genre stuff at the end, we're really going to need to get people on board, you know? And a lot of suspense movies and a lot of action movies, you know, any any genre-type movie um, will sometimes take a shortcut and be like, well, look, audiences have seen these types of characters before, so we don't need to worry about them because they already know what to expect. Yeah. But a movie like The Lookout really takes its time in establishing this specific character. He may be an archetype, but... This specific character still has motivations, still has feelings, and it really is just a, a a sensitive, not sensitive, but you know, it's it's sensitive to what the characters are thinking and feeling, and and as a result, it became a, a much more effective thriller. I thought. So All that's right. my number ten. Number nine for me, and this one won't take very long because okay. I don't think you've seen it. Uh, and this one, uh, this one makes I Am Legend look positively art house. Uh, so this is this is what I'm likely to get the most shit for. Okay, my number nine favorite movie of 2007 was Shooter. Shooter, the Antoine Antoine Fuqua film starring Mark Wahlberg. That's right. Because it was hands down the most politically radical film I saw all year. Okay, and possibly this decade. <laughs> it, the film you don't have to read too far between the lines to see that this film and, and I don't that's, I don't really agree with its its politics. Yeah, this film is advocating the violent overthrow of our government. <laughs> it, pretty straightforwardly. Yeah. Um, and even while while I don't agree that that's the solution. Yeah. I I, I found myself really really exhilarated by the fact that that just got through and that it was I mean I think Antoine Fuqua's a an, uh, a very competent filmmaker. Yeah. And I think he probably has... Uh, he probably has the potential to become a much better filmmaker. Mm. But, uh, well, I've already already, I've already cried racism once this episode, so I, I should probably <laughs> keep that to myself. Maybe for another day we'll talk about Antoine Fuqua and why yeah. the man's keeping him down. But, uh, yeah, Shooter, number nine. All right. And uh, Awesomely Violent, which is... Uh, was kind of a, a theme this year, and a lot of my top ten films are are, are quite violent. And, you know uh, what? Yeah, mine too. Actually, yeah. And if you it. like people getting shot in the head, <laughs> Shooter has a lot of that. Brain pans exploding all over the screen. 
It's a. I wonder if that's just a, a, a career decision that Mark Wahlberg has started to make. But <laughs> it's just like there has to be at least one head just almost exploding in blood uh, in every movie that I'm in from now on, starting with The Departed and now in, and now into Shooter. Um, but uh, my number nine is The Savages. Um, okay, I didn't see that, so that'll uh, yeah, well, that shouldn't take too long. Um, yeah, uh, it's basically. It's an actor's movie all the way. I mean, the story is so simple. Like, when describing it to someone, like, I was describing it to friends saying, like, oh, yeah, I just saw this. They're like, what's it about? I'm like, well, it's about this brother and sister, and they, uh, you know, their father's getting older, and they need to put him uh, in, a, in a nursing home. And then I realized that my summary was over. I was like, yeah. oh, right. That's all it's about. It's not about anything really... That's the thing. It's not about anything that seems complex, but emotionally it is so complex. Like yeah. it, re- you know, somewhat recently, you know. Well, I should say that that synopsis right there would have sold me on the movie if I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, because that's what I look for. It, the The longer it takes you to describe what a movie's about, I don't know. The less, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the less demand I feel to see it. Okay. Um, yeah, unless it's a, unless it's a film noir, simplicity is is best. <laughs> um, yeah, and and frankly, you know, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, you know, I kind of my family sort of went through a similar thing with my grandpa, who you know had Alzheimer's, and we put him in a home, and just and this is a movie that man, oh man, it gets the details right, and it's uh, it's heartbreaking and very funny, um, and all and one of the hardest things in the world for you know for me as far as movies go is. You know, you can always tell when a relationship in a movie feels forced. Like, they're like, well, these two actors don't really have a lot of chemistry, but they're supposed to portray people that have known each other for years, if not their whole lives, and it just doesn't work. The Savages is not one of these movies. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney really do seem like a brother and sister. They've got that dynamic down. Laura Linney's good at playing people's sisters, huh? She is. So she she sure on me. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it's funny and dramatic and it never forces any of its emotions. It really is just uh, an amazing, ama- an amazingly simple, yet uh, very emotionally complex film. So that's what I'll say about that. And the, I, I think, to me, the the emotion slash comedy thing shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who saw the Slums of Beverly Hills, right? Which uh, I which, haven't actually. Oh, it's uh, it, you know, it's got a, a couple of faults, but it's it's a really good movie, really yeah. worth watching. All right, that was your number nine. Yep. Number eight for me, which I'm pretty sure is on your list, is Zodiac. Zo- that's right. Yes, it is on my list. It's a bit higher on your list, I think. Uh, a bit, yes. Um, well, uh, let's talk about it then. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> save some time here. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, you brought it up first, so you go ahead. Well, let me say, I am not, uh, nor have I ever been, uh, a big David Fincher <laughs> fan. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, people who listen to this podcast know that we are not big fans of... Uh, Fight Club, which is kind of yes. the movie he's known for. And, it, of course, Alien 3 sucks, which he'll be the first to admit. Panic Room sucked. Um, I like Seven. I do. I'm not sure if I would say Panic Room straight up sucked. It had some solid performances. Oh, no, 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 it sucked. No, it had some good performances. Uh, uh, Jodie Foster's good. Forrest Whitaker's good. Are you talking about the performance of the camera where it goes through the handle on the coffee pot? Yeah, that sucked. That's, that's Don't ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's silly. But, uh, okay, all right, yeah, Seven was, was good. But Zodiac so, yeah, here, he a masterpiece, has, I'd say. He has set aside almost all of his uh, stylistic crutches yeah. and his uh, show-offy nature. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's easily, by far, his most personal film. Mm-hmm. Because uh, anything, if you've ever read about David Fincher, then you've heard of the fact that he will take do 75 takes of someone walking through a doorway, you know, that he's an incredibly obsessive director. Mm -hmm. And so he decided to make a three hour film about obsession. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he chose again, in keeping with the violence, he chose a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think, um, very hopefully he chose a serial killer who never got caught. Yeah. Which uh, I, I'm sure some viewers would have a huge problem with. Yeah, but and and what he ended up doing was uh, showing a, a giving a really brilliant uh, portrayal of obsession and what it can do to a person and those around them, mm-hmm. and uh, how it's 
it's really the obsession is more important to these people than yeah than the justice or whatever the reasons should be for wanting to catch a killer. They're yeah. just it's just a thing for them to be obsessed with. Yeah, they really they really you know all the detectives on the case and 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 you know reporters and stuff they really kind of personalize this and make it their own you know journey even like even you know secondary characters like uh donald logue and uh elias Cotillas, like uh-huh. all of them one of my favorite things about it is that uh after the the case has pretty much gone cold but now jake gyllenhaal is starting to look into it and he goes to basically every detective he talks to like all of them are like oh, the case is closed and you know they're, they're not very interested in in helping him and then he will like do this kind of little bit of like reverse psychology and he's like well you know I, you know so like i guess you know i guess you don't care and all of them all of a sudden like drop the facade and they're like well hang on now i didn't say that and you realize like oh this never went away for them they were forced to move on yeah and and it really just shows how this thing affected everybody and how really for the for as far as like even just the specific history of serial killers in the country, it's a somewhat small blip, mostly notable because of the weird showmanship element and the fact that nobody was caught. But yeah. in the in these people's lives, it is the defining moment of their lives. Yeah. Um, what I also like about the structure of the film is that it's not... Um, it's... It doesn't rely on any cliches. There are a few scenes of, of violence mm-hmm. that are... Uh, while not you know super gory or anything, yeah. Uh, among particularly the stabbing in the park is probably yeah. the most disturbing thing I saw on film this year. Uh, and I watched it again on DVD, and it had the same effect. And oh yeah, <laughs> I'm upset just thinking about it. Uh, but there's no there's no violence really for the rest of the movie uh, after the first 40 minutes or so. Yeah, and this is of a three hour movie, almost three hours. Uh, and I, I I feel like certain people certain the types of people that Fincher usually appeals to mm-hmm. would uh, my might feel unsatisfied. You feel that you, you feel like you're going in and this is going to be a, an extra long uh, version of seven, you know, and sure, it winds yeah. up not being that at all. No. And what's more is like just the maturity that this movie shows. I would never have guessed. Like if I watched this, I wouldn't have guessed that David Fincher was the director because the violence in it is done so it is disturbing because it's from the point of view of the victims. Now of course in 7 there's that to a degree, mm-hmm. but like with this just people that we don't know previously, but we just see that they're just regular people, you know, mm-hmm. they're not asking for it or anything like that. Their deaths are disturbing and and frustrating and they make you very sad as they should. You know, uh it is not there was enough it's like he realized there was enough sensationalism about this case as it was making the actual killing sensational would not have helped anything yeah um and yeah and and i will say that like that uh as far as performances go everybody does a great job um mark ruffalo is really great robert downey jr uh is amazing and very robert downey jr-esque yeah. um but that said john carroll lynch who plays the prime suspect uh you know he's not in it very long, but man, does he make an impression! And yeah, certainly, definitely not in a way that I would have expected previously. You know, based on Fargo, Fargo. and the Drew Carey show. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's uh, it's on my list as well. So, what's your, what's your number eight then? Uh, my number eight is Gone Baby Gone. Okay, which you know I know is on your list as well, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe we shouldn't talk in too much detail, but. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's well, here's the thing. Okay, okay, that I want to talk about because right. uh, it's a bit higher on my list uh, yeah. because up until actually very recently uh, it was a lot higher on the list because mm-hmm. uh, I think it's really amazing. Yeah, and we were talking earlier about um, about uh, simplicity, and we were talking about simplicity in plot, which this does not have at all. Right, but the approach to the directorial approach. Uh, is is so assured and so lacking in frill mm-hmm. uh, that it really grounds the movie and it really has a sense of. I mean, I've never been to Boston, yeah. but it really has a sense of authenticity. Yeah, that is very important, and that sort of uh, that that sort of simplicity in a first time director. Yeah, is astounding. Yeah, people laugh when I tell them that's like 
when I say that, yeah, Ben Affleck establishes himself as a great, a really solid director, people laugh at me, and it's like, no, just see the movie. Believe me, you'll yeah. you'll you'll thank me for saying this. Um, and as far as authenticity goes, probably maybe not my favorite scene, but one of my favorite scenes in it is fairly early on where Casey Affleck is kind of new to the case and he and his girlfriend go into this bar and they start asking questions and then everybody at the bar starts getting really mad at them. They shut the door and they're going to attack these two people. And then you That's realize... That's also, by the way, a really well-written scene. It which sure Which Ben is. Affleck co-wrote it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's all get over the fact that he was Benefer and let's exactly. uh, give him the respect he deserves. Um, but in that scene everybody's, you know, they're going to attack the, the two main characters. And then you realize the guys in these, in this bar, they have nothing to do with the central crime, not a thing. They just don't like people asking questions. Yeah. And like that scene does more to establish this world than an entire movie's worth of that kind of thing. Just, and externally from the movie, it did more for me in establishing Casey Affleck. Absolutely. Than anything I've ever seen. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed him in certain roles in yeah. To Die For and, and Jerry. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and those roles were sort of catered to, I guess, his strengths. Mm-hmm. If you read who this character is in Gone Baby Gone, mm-hmm. Casey Affleck is not the actor I would have thought of. Thought right, of. right. Uh, but that is a scene in which he is, first, he's proving himself to these people in the bar, yeah. and he's proving himself to us as the audience. Yeah. Because he steps into his own, he grows up almost before our eyes. And what's interesting is that, like, you really feel like this character is from this neighborhood, but not really of it. And in that scene and a couple scenes afterwards, you realize like, Oh no, he's from the same streets that all these characters are. He just yeah. happens to have a slightly higher pitched voice. Like that's basically what different, you know, that he goes, that he turns to violence pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and you know, th- and like threatens people when he has a gun pointed at him. It's yeah. Like, Wow. That is uh, that's a local right there, and uh, just great. And of course, Amy Ryan's performance is is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and then so. even after he's he's gotten his safe pack- passage, he leaves <laughs> screaming, "Make me a fucking cocktail." <laughs> <laughs> um, that's gonna be my next tattoo, actually. <laughs> Make me a fucking cocktail. 